2: we The fastest team in football has their first championship. There goes the dunk, Coach Rasmussen, and the celebration can begin for the Utah Falcons. They are the 2016 IWFL World Champions. Utah Falcons win it 49-6. to One touchdown in the game. For Minnesota, Kirsten Hansen tossed it to Marlissa Brown for the score. All kinds of scores for the world champions. Keisha Cox, four touchdowns. Lindy Prescard with a score. Luis Bean, the quarterback, had a rushing touchdown. And Veronica Zikieros with a score late for Utah, who went at 49-6. to
0: and that was the exciting game of the IWFL Championship. Everybody uh, expected to, uh, you know, have a competition game. Uh, unfortunately, we had talked to Minnesota, and they were right there, ready to rock and roll. Um, they knew they had a, a hard task. Uh, Troy uh, Wilson had brought it up and said this was going to be a big effort on Minnesota's part. This was also was going to be a big test for Utah in terms of a defensive. Strategy, and it just seems at this point that that wasn't the case. Uh, Utah, who lost to uh, Pittsburgh Passion last year uh, on, on route after having a great season as well, now we get um, to a, a situation where they both, um, you know, they come back and they, they could have been back-to-back champions given if they would have won last year, but Pittsburgh took it. And now uh, Utah redeems themselves in Charlotte, 49 to 6 versus the Minnesota Vixen. Minnesota having an outstanding season. Historic franchise right behind Kristen Hansen and company. And uh, they just could not uh, keep up with the Utah Falcons. So, uh, welcome to Great Iron Blitz. Oscar Lopez here alongside Nkishi Free and Troy Wilson. And uh, as well as the IWFL Championship, we had the WFA Y Bowl Championship. Uh, it was a nail biter, 28 26. And your DC Divas, back to back champions, defeating once again the Dallas Desire. Um so it's it was just a great weekend of football uh in tier two. You also had the St. Louis Slam uh taking on uh the Tampa Bay Inferno, the Slam just thirty eight to six taking care of uh, the Inferno and congratulations also to the um the Richmond um I'm sorry, the uh, zydeco um the academia zydeco who defeated the richmond black widows so uh troy and kishi championship weekend iwfl wfa we now have champions we have the utah falcons defeating the minnesota vixen on the other side you have back-to-back champions dc divas first time in the wfa back-to-back champions and on defeating dallas so uh any thoughts you guys
3: yeah. Um, well, first of all, I think I need to go ahead and go to Vegas because uh, I call both of those games. I'm not. I, I'm just. That's the last time I'm going to toot my own horn. That's the last time. All right. So uh, that will watching, never
4: be the last time you <laughs> toot your own horn.
3: <laughs> you you know me too well. Good you know try, my last. man. Good try. <laughs> okay. So first, I, I wanted to go ahead and, and, and speak on the, in the Utah and uh, Minnesota game. I mean. Listen, hats off to Utah, third year in the league. They're the champs. And they did it in convincing fashion. And in all honesty, I, I was I was not surprised. I mean, they have been throttling people all year long. They have just flat-out outscored teams. You're going to have to – listen, you got to get your wind up to keep up with that team. So, I mean, it, it, knew it was going to be a gargantuan effort for Minnesota uh, to try to keep up with them. And they were game. But, you know, I think, you know, with all the the team speed that they have, they're they're just, I mean, that Utah team, they they fly around. And, you know, they show why they should have been the champions this year. Um, Regarding the uh, D.C.-Dallas game, I just feel like both teams look like, you know, it was was so many ebbs and flows in the first half. Um, uh, you, You saw a lot of mistakes, a lot of mental mistakes. I think both teams kind of settled down. Uh, after, you know, trading scores in the third quarter, and then they kind of settled down. But then what it came down to was the execution of the extra point. And, um, you know, I think that, I mean, points-wise, that was a difference in the game. But it came down to execution. I think D.C. ended up being the, the better executing team, and that's why they came out with the victory. Yeah,
0: you called it last week. You said it was going to come down to a two-point conversion. You said it was going to be that close of a game, and here we are, the results. uh could have gone either way, and so for Dallas, this is the second year in a row that it doesn't go their way in the fourth quarter. So what does that say, Troy?
3: Well, it, number one, it says that um, Dallas is heartbroken. I mean, just imagine the team, that team, the season that they had where they dominated, absolutely dominated all of the competition, including the team that they lost to in the championship game the year previous, and then they came out and they showed that team what they were made of in the first game of the season. They're riding high for the rest of the season. Their confidence is sky high. And to, to have that, to climb that entire mountain only to get right near the top, And to slip on a rock, and now you got to fall all the way back down that mountain after climbing, you know, Mount Everest at 29,000 feet. Just imagine that you you make one slip and you got to fall 29,000 feet all the way to the bottom. And now you got to make that trek again next year. It's tiresome. If you think about that, like from the mental standpoint, it's very tiresome. It's very heartbreaking, and my heart goes out to that team, but again, you have to give congratulations to the D.C. Davis for coming out with
0: me. We're going to have the MVPs of both uh, leagues. Today, uh, Utah um, championship quarterback Luis Bean will be with us, and then we're going to have MVP Keisha Cox, and in the second Nojo Copa Huddle interview, uh, our insider, Neil Rosenthal is going to be with us, and the MVP of the Weibull Bowl and Jetta Grisby will be with us to recap these two games. So it's going to be an exciting hour here, so don't don't miss it. Um, but you know what, you guys? We talked about it at Link. Uh, we knew, uh, you know, Dallas, uh, Troy Dallas, uh, from from watching the game, they really, uh, at one point, were in control. And then sort of Diva just came back. And like you said, there was mistakes here and there, and that allows certain things to just go in place. And then in the end, it, it just as close as a two point conversion. Wow, and that that really that that will really hurt.
3: Yeah, and I agree. And, and, and it, it, as you said, it could have went either way. I mean, just think about uh, you know they had the a huge play in the first quarter, uh, 55 yard touchdown pass right down the side, right down the sideline, and then they converted on a fourth and forever. I guess it was maybe like fourth and 25, and they converted on that pass play. And you know they get the first down and they go ahead and score, so they're up, you know, 12 points. And then uh, in turn right back, right, turn right back around. The D.C. Divas have drawn, They've gone all the way down to the red zone, and they on their side of the field. And they go for it on fourth down, and they get a pass and a first call, and they go ahead and score. Where you know most people would have sat back and said, Hey, let's play conservative. Both teams took a lot of chances. And then when you get a lot of chances, you get you, you root the rewards for them when you execute. And then for that kickoff, like right at the end of the second half, talk about a momentum builder or a momentum killer. Depending on what sideline you were on, to have a mistake like that where the ball, you, can, you kicked off the ball and it, and it hits a player. Either way, if it, even if it didn't hit a player it was still a live ball, to have D.C. recover it and go ahead and score, and not to mention convert the the you know, the extra point, which was very key in that situation, to take the lead going into halftime where, as you said, they were being dominated the entire first half.
4: Yeah, but I'm not surprised because there was no way, and especially after listening to Callie, that D.C. was going to come into this game playing conservatively. They said from the very beginning they were going to play lights out. They were coming in, they were going to play hard, they weren't going to sit there and play timid because they had a message that they wanted to send to Dallas to redeem themselves after the loss at home and, you know, for the second game of the season. So I'm not surprised at all that neither team came out playing, um, you know, timid football. They were both trying to make a point, and you're right, it's heartbreaking to lose in the end. But then that second time in the year to lose in the fourth quarter simply means that Dallas has to do something to sustain their energy to of sustain their momentum and to make better plays down this field. I mean, down the um, end of the game, down the stretch.
0: That's where the key was. I mean, it's really been the last two years. The key has been one play decides the winner. And so we've got to give credit to the elite. I mean, just like Utah, you, you know, they, uh, they come back and they come back to the championship. Um, let's just hope uh, and pray that, that the elite doesn't become the Buffalo Bills because this is really what it's boiling down to right now. You're, you're losing crushing last-minute games, and and even though you can get to the game, uh, to the final, uh, Buffalo did it literally four times and could not win one. So uh, the psyche, Troy, right there is, is just you know you're you're gonna make it, but at some point it's got to get in your head. We're here. If they get here next year, it's got to be in their head, right? When they get there, and they're like, can we punch it in?
3: Yeah, agreed. And again, it's that. You know, you start bringing up the c word, uh, the curse. You know, do you have it? You know, you don't want to start going down that road. But I think this is where, this is where, you know, we talked about it at ad nauseum last week. This is where leadership goes. So, you know, we talked about Coach Tui and and we talked about Mo Gax. I think Odessa is right in that same, uh, in that same uh, conversation as far as like leadership.
2: Just imagine,
3: think about the position that she's in, where she is the team owner, you know, she's a starting running back, starting wing, um, you know, and also, you know, the head coach. So, I mean, you, you, just that leadership alone can, she, she's going to have to, She's. She, they're going to ride her coattails. She is about as strong as you can get. But
4: the reality is she may have to relinquish some of her power in order to better be able to facilitate because at some point you can't do everything by yourself. And maybe that might be part of the problem is the inability to relinquish some of the power so someone else with a different viewpoint on the field can see what pieces might need to be moved in a different manner.
3: Well, I mean, and, you know, thinking about it in that respect, I would say that would be true if, she didn't play very well, but I, I don't think the issue with the game or any of the games that they played were with Odessa. I think she is about as fundamental as it gets. I think that the problem that, that arose from this was more so just playing out execution. And some people can call it depending on who you are. I brought up Vegas earlier if you believe in luck, but, you know, bad luck and good luck. But it wasn't necessarily on her the reason why they lost. I mean, so I, I would say that if it looked like or seemed like she's overwhelmed, but her player on the field does not reflect a person that is that is overwhelmed with too many responsibilities, and that's the only reason I would say that. But to your point, there has to be another leader to step up. She can't be the only one, you know. Just like, you know, we talked about, uh, I'll bring up, you know, the L.A. temptation again with Coach Tui, and then you also have, um, as he said, a coach on the field or Mo Gax, you need that type of tier system. You need that type of, you know, you have to be able to count on someone else to you, to delegate to someone else to take up those reins. I'm not sure if the Dallas Elite has that, or maybe I'm missing that, but it doesn't seem like that they do have that extra vocal leader. Whereas if you look on the D.C. sideline, you see a lot of leadership out there. You see you see Cali out there. You see um, uh, Hamlin out there. These guys are their, their, their leaders. And, and right. I think that yeah, kind of showed in
0: both games. D.C. has too many historical players. I mean, you got Donna Wilkinson, you got uh, the coach, Allison Fisher played as a former, uh, former uh, player as well. Um, you know, there's a lot more history there, of course. I mean, you can't even compare to Dallas, because Dallas has only been in, in existence for two years, and uh, a remnant of the Dallas Diamonds from other players, but but we got to give them credit. Uh, they had an Absolutely outstanding cool. season.
3: They oh went God,
0: all man. the way. They, they, you know, they said they were going to do what they had to do, and they did get back to the final. And so it just, you know, it's one play, one mistake here and there. Uh, like Troy's point, uh, the execution was done on the other side, and the victory is earned on the other side as well. So, hats uh, off to Dallas for the outstanding season, and hats off to uh, the DC Divas for their. Uh, amazing uh, comeback and back-to-back champions. So let's go into the huddle now, um, and we're going to go into the huddle and talk to the other side, which is the IWFL championship that you uh, you can replay and watch. You can go on our Twitter timeline and the links there on the IWFL YouTube channel. You can do a replay of the game there. Um, Minnesota coming in here, very high-spirited. They were anticipating a good matchup. And uh, we all knew what Utah was all about. Probably the only team that contested them was in the playoffs, and that was the, Car- the Carson Bobcats. Other than that, they were really untested and uncontested. And I kept saying all through the season, what did I say? If you get to halftime and even be competitive, they have a tendency to put the nail in the coffin in the second half. And really, that's what it that's what it boiled down to in this game. They really played two solid quarters, and the rest of the way they just – cruise on to the title. So let's bring into the huddle the Utah Falcons uh quarterback, championship quarterback, I should say, Luis Bean, and uh, their running back Cox, the NVP of the IWFL championship. So uh Luis, are you on? Is it Luis Bean? Um
5: this one this is Keisha. Hi Keisha, oh, Keisha so I'm sorry. Um
0: uh, let me see you, Luis. Are you on? Can you
5: hear me? Can you hear me?
0: Yeah, we got we you. We can hear
5: you.
6: So
0: we got both. Okay. We got both of you on. Congratulations to uh, both of you, uh, Keisha, for your MVP honors, and uh, Luis for an on, an awesome season. So uh, let's start off with. Let's start off with. Um, we knew Minnesota was when you guys were confronting Minnesota. Uh, Luis, let's go with you first. What was something that you guys were scoping prior to the game? Uh, They had a good defense all year. So what was something that that stood out to you guys before the game and you guys were kind of planning for?
6: Um, Basically, when we scout a team, we just look to see what uh, defensive front that they have. And in our scheme with our offense, um, we're looking to see if they chase motion or not. And then looking at their front, and then that depends on our scheme on how we'll call the plays, and um really, you know by the time that we have gotten to this game, we really felt like we were, hadn't seen anything new, and that Minnesota wouldn't um you know congratulations to Minnesota for getting to the game and a, and a successful season. We just didn't feel like they would pose anything new or different for us, and I love our scheme in the sense that we can handle we're not very big as far as size. Um, and I don't know what's in the water in Utah. We just don't grow them big down here. So, um, But our our <laughs> offense is based upon technique. We're not worried about overpowering anybody. We're worried about getting a certain shoulder. We're worried about just turning you. We're worried about blocking the edges. So um, we didn't show a lot of triple option this year until we got to the, to the Western Conference Finals, and we knew we would do a lot in this game. So we assumed they wouldn't be prepared for it. And... Um, For me, in my position and and how we were calling the plays and how we were reading it, um, I could tell that they probably hadn't practiced. I don't know what they practiced, but I knew that our scheme was going to work really well from the very first snap. And so Keisha had a great day. Um, Coaches are just really prepared us well for what we were going to see. And so by the time game time started, we weren't weren't nervous at all. We'd been there before, and we knew what we were going to do.
0: Luis, it looked to me like Minnesota got gassed early. The amount of speed that you guys have, uh, and every game that I watched you guys play, it just seems like the fact that your speed, it sort of kills for two quarters, and then it just gasses everybody out. Is it it something that, I mean, that's something that I've seen all season long. And that's why you guys have, you know, the double-digit scores really early up before mm-hmm. halftime, and then before you know it, it's another double digit. So, it's, like to your point earlier, uh, you guys aren't big, but you certainly have quick technique. And I think that that in itself, uh, when you're going up against a maybe a bigger team with more muscle and more beef, uh, mm-hmm. that eventually starts to wear down on them.
6: Yeah, definitely. When we're looking for offensive linemen, with our scheme, we're not looking for the big girl that's trying to block and overpower. We're looking for agile players. Um, that are not, you know, I mean, I saw Dallas this year post about how their average offensive line averaged 290. For us, that's too big. For us, we need agile women who can move and get downfield. Our blocking schemes, we have five blocking schemes and that's it. And so we need girls to get downfield. We're an edge team. And so we actually tighten you up and spread you out. Whereas a lot of teams like in the spread, they want to spread you out and then fill those holes. And we're the opposite. So we are very fast. We're very lucky in that. We're really fast. Our coaches are really good at putting speed players in the right positions. But also one of the huge focal points, I've watched a lot of film. I've been playing seven years. I've watched a lot of teams. And a focal point for us that I just don't see on other teams as much is our blocking. I mean, in other teams, I'll see wide receivers. They kind of just go out. They touch the girl, you know, push her once. That's it. Our girls have to battle for three to six seconds and that's not on the O line, that's on the edges. So that's a big deal for us. I mean, we have a girl that plays wing back, her name's B. She probably should get an all star in the league for blocking. She can hit people on the run, knock them to the ground, flying, their feet will be up in the air and then she'll go on to the next girl. There's times where Keisha can score or any of the other wing backs will score and B she's she she's like a headhunter. She we call her like a sniper. She's just out headhunting to put some girl down. So our our focus is, is very different than maybe some other types of schemes. Our our focus is technique. We're going to out technique you. We're going to out-think you. We're going to out-prepare for you and we don't need to out-muscle you. We don't need to beat you that way. All we got to do is turn your shoulder and and then we'll take you to the edges. We're taking you sideline to sideline. So and then we're really conditioned and we have a lot of players. So, um we're used to being in the heat. So, it works out well for us and a lot of, you know, a lot a lot of uh a uh, lot of uh, adulations go to our head coach and the coaching staff. They just really prepare us very well for all our games.
0: Now, uh, Keisha, um, you get the honors uh, and four touchdowns for the day. So, um, tell us a little bit about you know the beginning, the first quarter, second quarter, and then sort of you guys go into this, uh, what I call, nail in the coffin mentality, which when something is working, you just keep keep working the same thing until the bell uh, ends at this point. So, tell us a little bit about the the, the game itself for you. Uh,
5: for me, uh, I just came in thinking like it was just another game. Uh, yeah, it was a championship game, but last year I got myself wound up too tight. This year, it was more of you know what? Let's just go in. Let's do everything the same. Let's listen to the same music. Let's have the same breakfast. Let's let's listen. Let's goof around. And as soon as you step on the field, just be you. And I, and I feel like that's not only what I did, but the whole team, the whole Falcons team. I mean, the locker room, I wish most people can have the same locker room mentality or feeling that we have in our locker room. It, it's just a big family. It's a big family reunion. Um, like we haven't seen each other in weeks, and we're all goofing around, getting prepared for the game. But um, that once that first snap uh, went, I was just ready to go. It was like beast mode. As soon as that snap, that ball, as soon as Bean said hike, it was like a flip, a switch flipped, and it was time to take care of business.
0: Uh, and then now,
5: after, the, uh, after the in the oh, fourth
0: uh, in the fourth quarter, you had a, a real good. I mean, it was good flow all the way through, but in the fourth quarter, it looked like like I was telling uh, Luis, it looked like uh, uh, Minnesota was a little bit gassed now, and they and they seemed really tired. Um, so that was that your perception?
5: I mean, to be honest, we we're really conditioned if i was chasing me around i'd be gassed in the first or second quarter too <laughs> and <laughs> so oh, i mean yeah well, it to me they started to slow down uh, um or maybe the game just got a little bit more exciting and things just sped up for me and i saw things differently and they moved a little bit slowly i mean for me i'm just saying i would i would get tired chasing our our um motions from east to west or the north to south, so,
0: so was this one was this no one huddle. sweeter because you guys lost last year and now this one is this one was coming in you knew you guys had to get this one, right?
5: Are you talking to me? Well,
0: no, I was talking to Keisha. Okay.
5: I think the mentality with is: is we don't go home we don't we're not gonna go home without it this year. Um whatever we needed to take we were going to lay it down all on the field. Not saying that we didn't do that last year, but we were, I feel like we were more prepared, um, better conditioned, and we had probably about 20 returners from last year. So we know exactly what, what we needed to do and what to expect coming into this game, where we were all new to the experience. Um, like I said, we were I was wound up, I'm sure a lot of other people wound up and just had this pressure that they had last year just lifted off their shoulders this year.
4: You guys, this is um, this is Keisha. Hi, Keisha. (laughs) Hi. Um, Hi. So I have a quick question to ask you guys. So you know, like you guys said, you back to back. Either lady, you know, either one of you ladies can answer this one. But what um, Keisha just said something really important about being wound up. And what I'm wondering is, when you guys came back to back, did you feel the same pressure this year as you did? Last year, or did you allow yourself to just, like you said, play your game? Because that that seems to be like the theme that I've been hearing. You know, we're not focused on them. We're focused on us. We're gonna play our game. You know, we're gonna stick with our scheme. We're gonna, you know, play, you know, our 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 style of football. And on top of that, my other question is, you guys were the heavy favorites coming into this game. So, you know, did that factor in your head, or did you guys just shut everything out? prior to the first
6: match? I would say that um, our coaches took what happened to us last year and fixed and fixed that within our scheme and, and us, we actually had over 35 players that returned and they had one goal in mind was to, was to win this. And then I also would say that our head coach is probably a, could be a professional psychologist as far as how he prepares us mentally and how he prepares us for the game and then how he prepares, uh, and now the coaches prepare us um, to play. And I just felt like no matter what they did, no matter what side of the ball it was, no matter if it was special teams or anything, we would be prepared. I mean, we can do a lot of things on, in special teams that we don't even didn't even show in the game. Um, and the defense can do a lot of things. And, you know, the offense can do a lot of things that you just don't see in the game. But we have, you know, the ability to do it. Um, so I just think we were more prepared. And like Keisha said, um, we were ready. There was just no there was just no way we weren't gonna win it. And it was you could just feel it across the board in our players. And I also think the no huddle, I'm surprised more teams don't go no huddle. Um you would have to have a little bigger team to do that or you'd just wear yourselves out. But no huddle is definitely um a big deal for us. And I think it makes it more interesting football to watch too, so
0: it's more fast pace for sure. Um, Louise, do you have any more time for us? Cause I know we were crunched for time and you guys were committed to another, uh, interview and stuff. Yeah, we're um, good. We're good. So, okay. Let me know when we have to go and bail. That way we can go okay. ahead and let you go. Uh, Troy, you got any, anything for Luis or Keisha? Yes.
3: Um, so I'm a I'm a big X's and O's guy. And, you know, you guys started off and, my, you know, my I had little hearts just going all up in the air because I'm hearing you guys talk about outflanking people and out, you know, out hustling people and taking the edge. I love that kind of stuff, man. So my question for you guys is, is when your coaching staff puts together, when he put together the offense, um, is he tailoring it to the talent that he has on the offense or is it more so – You guys are kind of fitting into what his philosophy is.
5: Um, Do you want me to answer that, Keisha? You want to go? Oh, you go ahead. I I would just say like that we fit into what he his scheme is. He finds the players. Not necessarily. He doesn't. He doesn't make an offense around one player or two players. It's everybody fits in. But you go ahead and take it, Bean. Um so our head coach comes
6: from an Air Force background so he's an Air Force yeah. grad
5: I and so it. he coached high it.
6: school yeah so he coached high school and um you know he had different I've talked with him before about the different variations that he's used but the base is the same and the good thing about the triple option is that sure it makes it a whole lot more effective if you have speed um but you know when you watch Air Force and Navy sometimes they don't have top speed but I th- definitely think, like I said, we aren't very big. And so would he do something different if we had, you know, John, um, excuse me, a um, a quarterback that could throw it 50 yards and 60 yards? Maybe. I don't know. But I do know that um, that he – I think it's a combination. He believes in the system that we run. It's effective. And I actually think more women's teams should do it because – So there's there's this big idea that everyone likes to run the spread, and the spread only works, you know, spread is like lining up big boy against big boy or big woman against big woman, and I'm going to overpower you and I'm going to take you and I can outpass you or I can do this or, or my girl can beat your big girl. And I think with so many teams that are not built that way, I really think that the triple option would help those teams compete because if we're trying to match up against a, let's say, a DC Diva or a Dallas team who are big and fast, that would be might be, and if we're trying to line up against them in a spread look, they're probably going to win that game. But when you say to them, "Hey, we're going to do this approach," and you have to study and you have to learn assignment football, and you have to um, uh, compete with us in that way, that just gives that gives us an edge. And I think where women's team should really invest in this type of offense because it would help them compete in playing against others bigger built teams i mean there's some big girls on Dallas. there's some big girls and they're fast on the divas and that's what makes me feel more empowered about our offense in the sense that hey we can compete with anybody because of what our offense is other teams only have in one week they only have two practices to prepare for us in two week time they only have three practices because then you're going to go to the championship so that's a hard thing to prepare for and so
3: um Uh I I can definitely concur to that. I mean, because when I, I saw you guys, I saw some of you know a lot of your highlights. And the first thing that came and popped into my head was Fisher DeBerry. Uh and yeah. you probably you guys were probably way before, you know, uh you guys. No, were I know Fisher, I know young. who Fisher DeBerry oh. is. <laughs> oh, okay, cool, cool. All right. So yeah, we're definitely getting along here. okay, so yeah. for those who don't know, Fisher DeBerry was a longtime Air Force uh Air Force uh head coach. And you probably know who D Dowis is, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. So we're good. So, so running so many variations, it was almost impossible to prepare for that air force team. And it didn't matter because he never was able to recruit the most elite athletes, but the scheme was, was, was extremely hard to stop. It was so many variations. And when I saw that, man, you guys definitely reminded me of that era uh, of when he was there. And I can, I concur with you. I, completely agree, and I was saying the same thing. Why don't teams run more? Because you guys seem to do that with so much ease, and and just it's a a thing of beauty to watch that, uh, to watch a team execute the triple option like you guys do with the team speed that you have, and my hat's off to you. I just love watching it. It was great.
6: Well, thanks. I actually kind of feel like because, I mean, we only throw the ball about 10 times a game. But we're pretty effective at it. Um, it puts me in situations to complete passes. And so, plus I had, you know, a 60% completion percentage. But that's a schematic. You know, it's nice to have a scheme that supports that. Um, but, you know, in this game, we really didn't have to pull out any any interesting variations of it because what was killing them is that they didn't adjust to our our heavy formations. We could go just straight shoot or we could go heavy and they wouldn't adjust. And so when teams aren't able to adjust to those kind of things, then hey, all you got to do is do you know, your base your base offense, and there you go. So it kind of played into our hands. But you know, it's a hard thing to defend, and it's hard to defend Keisha Cox, and it's hard to defend you know our host of other running backs and wide receivers, and it's just really, it's just really you know, and the no huddle. It's just that's a hard thing to compete. So. Well, on your, on your. is definitely a
4: difficult offense to run. I mean, because. Look at how well Peyton Manning was able to master it, and it took so many other teams a while to still catch on to the whole. Because when you're doing the huddle, you're really talking about um, timing and cadence and rhythm, and that requires chemistry. And if your team and your offensive line are not in sync with your quarterback, then it makes it really difficult for no huddle. And you also got to make sure that the play caller – really has a good eye for what the defense is doing, that he can make those adjustments at the line. Um, I like what you guys also said about the size factor, because when I saw the D.C. Divas in person, my mouth just fell open because literally I don't think I've ever seen females that big.
0: Yeah, they're
4: huge. They're huge. And it's really interesting to me, you know, because I – And I always thought that I was, you know, kind of big for a female because I'm 5'8", you know, and, no, I am nowhere near 203 pounds. I won't say the number, Uh but, you know. But still, you know, everything about me is proportional and even, and I always thought that I was, you know, big for a female because I'm about a size 14. So when I saw them, I said, oh, my. But I agree with what you guys said about running – the different plays for the smaller body female because the female body in general really is smaller. So being able to call plays that fit the body frame and the, you know, I think is definitely, you, you've tapped into something.
6: Yeah, it's, it works for us. And we've been the smallest team on the offensive line that we've played this year. And yet our girls, they don't even care about that because they're just taught, Hey, get your, get your head on the right, the correct side of the block get turn their shoulder uh that's all we need. You don't need to there the Minnesota had a huge she was just good good player um nose guard. She was tough for us to contain, but um you know they they have their line calls, and I mean seriously, our offensive line coach is is amazing. They have their line calls all everything that we call happens really quick, so you're right. the offensive coordinator has to discuss quickly. We have guys in the box that are talking down on the headset, the head coach can help adjust, then we have, you know, your audibles that you can that you can adjust with. So yeah, that you you practice that but that's all we've ever known. So to us it just seems kinda of simple. <laughs> so it yeah, works out. And, and,
3: and I think that's one of the, the things that, that does not get mm-hmm. mentioned enough in, in in women's football is in something that you alluded to earlier was, was identified the fronts. I think that's Paramount to you know to you guys' success. So, how long did it take you guys to master that? Because it's it's not it's not very easy to do. You know, I mean. So again, hats off to you guys for that. So, how long did it take you to feel comfortable enough to, when you line up, you know, you see the alignment that the, that the defense has for you to go ahead and counteract, so you already know what's going to be effective against that team. Yeah, you
6: know, we just have let's say you have a 4 man front and so we know that that's the base 4 man. Let's say they walk up a linebacker. Well, we know right then that we can make a line call to take care of that to, to help our play succeed. Let's say that the linebacker drops off or they don't cover our wingback. We have a line call or a or a quarterback call or a wingback call that it that that, that deals with that right away. So for us Um, that's how we've always been coached. And I've been in this system for five years, so that helps a lot. Keisha's been in it for three years. That helps a lot. Our line people, all the starting line people have been in it for a couple years. Our center's been in it for eight, or excuse me, five for this system. So, um, you know, you only have your two practices a week during the season. So a lot of our stuff happens through emails or things like that, and then it happens. And also, we don't practice. This is something different that I've noticed with teams. Early in the preseason, when you're starting your season, yeah, we do our individual drills. But then we work on scheme a lot. So let's say we come to practice, we have 15 minutes of individuals after you warm up, after you stretch, and then we're going to scheme because you can see where you're needing your fixes during scheme. And a lot of teams, we've noticed, and through talking to coaches, our coaches have talked to coaches, they spend so long on individual drills, and then they get to scheme and they can't run their scheme and the timing's not right. So, us, it's a lot of scheme, and our head coach he really should be coaching college football. It's almost not fair um but uh, I mean, he can see things. Let's see someone tackles me and and lots of coaches would be like, "Hey, you did that wrong to the quarterback. Well, he can see it that it happened on the backside tackle so that's really that really where it comes from is the coaches, and our offensive line coach is a long time high school coach, and so Sometimes I feel like it's not fair for the other teams, but they're just really good teachers, really good teachers. And uh, we've actually had high school coaches come and watch um, our practices that are running the same scheme um, because this high school guy is talking to high school guys, right? And now we're just girls that run it. And so to me it's just a game. Anyone can learn a game. So, And obviously Keisha's picked it up, so let's not be too hard. Yeah, it's not too hard. If I
5: can learn it, anybody can learn it.
6: Yeah, like, Keisha, tell them about, like, when you first came your first year, there was a ton of technology for her to learn. And I remember at the beginning, she's like, what the heck?
3: Yeah, it
5: was like trying to read a foreign language. I didn't know what to do, didn't know any of the lingo. I didn't know positions. All I knew is grab the ball and run at that point. It probably took me... Probably midway through the season, to actually realize, oh, that's the reason why I need to do this. Oh, that's the reason why I cut when I'm supposed to. Like, something that it was just, it was a lot to handle all at once. But thank goodness there were teammates and former players to actually break it down and actually make it into English for me.
3: <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, it was, so, so ladies. Well, it was a great so season. Oh. Go ahead, Troy. So I was just going to ask, um, uh, the, the, you, you guys' backgrounds. Um, so you, you guys are, you know, superior athletes. Tell me a little bit about your, your sporting backgrounds. Keisha? Um,
5: I played basketball and ran track throughout high school, played basketball at, um, a Division two school for college. And then after that, I just started playing flag football with the guys and that's where I met Bean and she said, come hang out. And, Come to a camp and see what tackle football is all about. And I said, You got it. Yes, ma'am.
2: <laughs>
5: yeah, when I saw her, because she was playing on
6: a guy's flag team, and I said, Hey, because I was playing on a team, not a guy's, but I was on a co ed team. Well, I guess that's the same thing. And uh, I just said, Hey, you're made for this. Come do this. So um, my background is is uh, I played college sports, softball, And I just like Keisha, you know, you spend a lot of time on the flag fields and always. I always think it'd be cool to play tackle, and then it came to Utah. And you know, I saw I saw it in an article in the newspaper. Keisha got recruited by me, but you know, a lot of girls they just get recruited by their friends, and or they see something in the newspaper, those kind of things.
4: Now, how many of you guys nope. have come out there come from sporting backgrounds? Because that's a good question. Thanks, Troy. Because we actually talked about this last week, where we saw a lot of players were coming in and they were former soccer players. Um, How many of your teammates actually had some type of prior athletic experience versus just coming at it cold? I'd say
6: 90%. And when you take an athlete who's been in college, they come with that mentality, and that's the mentality you're looking for. And you're looking for that, I want to compete, I want to succeed, and I'm willing to invest. And um, I think that's hard for some other teams where they don't realize the crossover that, hey, this isn't just show up for softball and play that night. It's how some people are treating it. Now, Not, not there's a lot of people that love this sport, and they love the commitment. But we have a, we're have we lucky. We have a lot of people that commit, and we have a lot of co- the coaches commit and the head coach commit. And so that whole mentality – you want to be successful. I mean, when you hang out with Keisha, she wants to be successful. When you hang out with V, and you hang out with Tasha, and you hang out with everyone around, either you you want to be like that or you don't you you don't come to practice anymore because it's too tough for you. And it's not because the, it's not because we live in some military society over here or something like that. We just all want to compete and be good. If something's worth doing, it's worth doing well. So, um that's how our team is, and like I said, our head coach probably should be a professional psychologist because uh, he has a he has a police background and so and an air force background. So um, I don't know what Keisha would say, but I, I feel really lucky that he's our head coach.
0: Well,
2: Keisha, it you like
0: coach? It sounds like you guys have been very <laughs> successful. So far, um, it's been proven for the last two years. I mean, last year against Pittsburgh, a couple plays here and there, and it would have been the other way as well. So, I'm, I mean, uh, this has been kind of a, a journey. So, I'm going to post a question that every fan that covers women's gridiron is going to say: When will Utah take on a Dallas or a DC? Do you see that in the foreseeable future?
5: Keisha. Uh um. So it's up to us. It'd, it'd be next season. Um, unfortunately, we just don't have the funds to make that happen. Uh, but hopefully soon. That's all I can like say, because I don't really pay attention to all that background noise. I just, I'm just i just here to play football.
3: No, I understand. But we would Understood. sure both like uh, to the play them.
5: Only... We'd,
3: yeah. we'd like to play them.
6: That'd be solely cool. Like, we would play anybody. Yeah. Yeah, we have set would be... that mentality. If they came to well, our I think house, that'd
2: be great. I think the side would be great. I think the west
0: side would be great because you got a lot of great teams on the west side. You got, uh, you know, you got the uh, Cal War Angels in Fresno. You got the Elite in, out in Dallas. You got the Majestics, who you got, you know, in nor- in Northwest. Um, so a lot of things. Fans, as fans, we try to like envision all this stuff. We know logistically it's not there yet, but uh, overall, um, I want to thank you guys for coming on, making the time today. Uh, we wanted to get you guys on to congratulate you guys on the outstanding season you guys had and uh, obviously two years in a row making it to the, to the championship that says a lot and you already alluded to the coaching staff we got to give them props uh, a lot because uh, when you watch yourselves on a highlight reel as Troy would say, uh, wow that's all you can say So <laughs> I've, uh, I've quoted hey, the thing before and I'll say it again, you guys uh, have a, a two quarter uh, mean streak and then uh, putting nails in a coffin for the last two quarters, and that's pretty tough to beat. So uh, congratulations hey, well, to you guys and the, the organization.
3: Hey,
6: can I just hey, say a shout-out to our owner? Because our owner really is where it started. She's the one that said, hey, I can do this better, and we're going to do it. So shout-out to her. And then also, hey, anyone who's listening, the Utah Falcons w- would, would, would love to play anybody. And we did try last year to play several WFA teams, but, you know, everyone had the same um, – you know the same financial. Yeah, it's great if they want to come to your house. A little different when you might if they want you to go there, because all our travel is our shortest game is nine hours away. So, anyways, that's a shout out. Anyone wants to play us, we're good.
2: I that's great.
0: It. I love so, it. So, Elise I uh, it. and Keisha, really appreciate the time. Congratulations on your MVP honors. Uh, congratulations on your championship. Uh, we look forward to the 2017 season to see more highlight reels from this squad. And, uh, like I said, it's just if you watch your games, uh, fans are going to love it, and we love it. So, thank you, and congratulations again to the whole squad. Thanks, guys.
5: Thank you, ladies. We appreciate it. All right.
2: Bye-bye. Have a great night.
5: You too.
0: All right. So, that was uh, Keisha Cox, MVP of the IWFL 2016 championship. And then we also had Louise Bean, um, championship quarterback, um of the utah falcons and um troy i mean and in kishi this is it this this is probably the elite team when you watch them on the field and now we know why i mean their their scheme is fast scheme they don't they're not heavy funded, like she said their the coach is acclimating to the team and that makes a big difference and you can sell in their play so um, you know our wishful thinking is let's hope Uh, Our hoping is that they will go to the WFA at some point and then we will get to see what we all want to see, you know, a DC Diva, uh, another rematch with the passion, maybe a Dallas Elite versus Utah, uh, you know, uh, Central Colorado Angels. So, um, you know, our dreams are there, but we'll see if it happens. Um, Let's go into the second huddle and obviously the second championship that happened this weekend, the Y Bowl in Pittsburgh. And that was between the DC Divas, the champion DC Divas, taking on the Dallas Elite. Dallas coming in here with, obviously, something to prove, a road to redemption. And so they get edged by two points. So right now we're going to be talking to uh, Neil Rosenthal and Congenna Grisby of the DC Divas. Uh, Guys, how are you guys doing?
3: Doing great.
1: Hello. Awesome. Is that, are both of you on? <laughs> um, I don't know if Kenyatta's on or not. She'd be calling from a different I don't time. know if she's on.
0: Okay, she hasn't got on here yet. Um, so I, I think you're the only one on here right now. So, Neil, let, let's talk about it right before we get her on. Hopefully she's uh, going to call in. Did we give her the number?
1: Uh, I did send her, I did send her the number, but, uh,
2: uh, okay. and, and she
1: said she might be able to make it, but, um, uh she didn't she was uh it was kind of a last minute in terms of her even knowing she was okay. supposed to be on. <laughs> hey, do
0: you okay. the party I tried to get man. a hold of the I I tried to get a hold of Rich uh, yesterday to see if she can get a hold of her, but I know she's probably busy too. So, um if she if she does call in, great. If not, uh we got you on. So, sort of a reflection of what happened at the Y Bowl. So, uh what a game. Um watching on ESPN3. Uh I mean, it was a good contest. Dallas up to a good start, and then all of a sudden, you know, the Divas kind of muster, and so tell us a little bit about the the event and the game and the beginnings.
1: Uh, Yeah, the championship game, I think, pretty clearly lived up to everybody's expectations as far as just being a real back-and-forth, high-powered, exciting, fun game to watch, you know, when you have – ESPN uh, uh, streaming the game online uh, through ESPN three. I think well, the main thing you want is you want a good game, you want an exciting game, and uh, that's really what what was delivered between two excellent, outstanding teams. Uh, it was it was it was Dallas's. It, Dallas kind of dominated the first half, which is interesting because in the first two meetings between those teams. It was really the Divas who dominated the first half and then Dallas who dominated the second. That was kind of the way that both of their previous meetings had gone. Uh, But in this particular game, Dallas got off to a really, really hot start and and went up 12 to nothing uh, on on two touchdowns uh, and really, I think, was controlling the game defensively more than anything else because their defensive line was just absolutely dominating the game. They were overwhelming the Divas' offense. At one point I think the Divas were faced with something like second and forty seven or something along those lines. And uh uh, you know, the other thing for the Divas is they had a couple of, of players who were injured in the game. Uh Ashley Wisenhunt who was the M V P of last year's title game, uh hurt her foot, and then Kenina Grigsby, uh, the eventual M V P uh had a little bit of a shoulder thing that uh a sidelined her for a little bit, but when both of those players came back, uh, the Divas were able to crank it up a little bit more. And I think the, the the key for them was they were able to score a couple of touchdowns right before halftime. And despite really having been outplayed for most of the first half, they you know they had the lead at halftime, 13 to 12. And um, and then you knew it was kind of it was just going to be back and forth from that point forward. And uh, uh, the Dallas wound, wound up taking a 26-20 lead. Um, early in the fourth quarter, and uh, that was the way it was looking as time started winding down in the game, as we got later and later into the game. But the Divas were able to drive down the field, uh, got a short field off of a turnover, which is is huge. They got a fumble recovery, and uh, that gave them the short field that they needed to drive down, get the touchdown, tied it up, and then, interestingly enough, went for two, which is not common for the Divas, but they went for two, got the two, went up 28-26, uh, and then uh, a final interception to uh, to seal the victory. But really the key to the game for me was the fact that the Divas won the turnover battle five to one. Uh, the Divas were able to get five turnovers from Dallas and, and only coughed up one to the elite, and that really helped the Divas, I think, come away with the victory in a game where I think Dallas dominated or, or at least had the advantage in several other categories. But – the turnover battle can often be a, a great equalizer, and and those five turnovers that the Divas got from Dallas, I think, really was uh, was what turned the tide in in favor of the Divas for a second straight championship.
0: Turnovers are always going to kill, no matter what, what sport you're in. So I, I'm thinking that was kind of the difference too in that regard. Um, but you know, it just it just seemed at the beginning it seemed like Dallas had it going, and to your point, it just it sort of uh, uh, going into the into the fourth quarter with the fumbles, uh, a lot of the a lot of that changed. So uh, that that was a big. I think that's the equalizer right there. just the fact that those things kind of cost that. And then the uh, the two point conversion that came up short at the goal line, um, that really was right there. I mean, it was there was still 12 minutes left. So, but uh, I mean, you got to give it to the Divas. They mustered it up in the fourth quarter. And uh they just you know, they get they edge Dallas. It's really what it is, they just edge Dallas. And Troy had talked about it last week about how it was gonna come down to maybe a two point conversion and here we are in reality.
3: Yeah, I am looking at it from a standpoint of, um, of watching both of those teams play. I mean, you know, the best that the best that the WFA has to offer. And it looked like both of the teams, you know, initially they started off nervous. Um, did you get that sense, Neil, when when you were watching the game?
1: Um, well, it was a couple of three and outs for the first uh, uh, the first series for both teams, and I think that probably was a little bit of nerves. But Dallas struck pretty quickly. they they are a quick strike offense, and uh, 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 Alberta, uh, Alberta, uh, Fitzgerald and I'm probably killing her name, but uh, she's been playing for a long, long time. She's talked about uh, potentially retiring at some point. I think a 15-year veteran of women's football for Dallas, and uh, uh, she was she made several huge plays uh, in the first half. Uh, I think two of the biggest plays in the first half for Dallas, uh, catching a 56-yard touchdown pass to get them on the board first, uh, up six to nothing, and then uh, also converting uh, 30. With a 31-yard pass on fourth and uh, on fourth and uh, 17, on fourth and 17, they decided to go for it on their side of the field, and then getting uh, a 31-yard reception for a first down. It was it was a big key for them, and uh, you know it, it. I think they failed on three of their four two-point conversions. I think that was a, a huge factor. And remember when Dallas beat the Divas earlier uh, in, in the season in the regular season? They converted all five uh, two-point conversions in that game. And uh, in this game, they only got one out of four. And I think that obviously uh, came out to be a factor at the end. But the big thing for me, I think, was as bad as the Divas played offensively in the first half and as as much as Dallas really dominated the first half defensively with their defensive line, when the Divas were able to score a touchdown and then uh, recover a, a fumble on the kickoff, and then score another touchdown with six seconds left and go in at halftime up 13 to 12. After a first half where I really felt like Dallas really dominated the first 28 minutes of that uh, of that first half, then you, you had a sense that, whoa, the Divas are right in this thing. I mean, they're winning on the scoreboard, and, and then you knew we were in for some fireworks in the second half. So, you know, a game that could have potentially gotten out of control did not and then you know, at halftime, it was it was almost even, and it set up uh, even more fireworks in the back and forth in the second half where it was anybody's game, and and the Divas happened to come out on top in the second uh, second frame.
3: Yeah, and and, and uh, you know, to your point, I mean, they they made some some huge plays, and and they got it exactly when they needed it. I mean, you you rarely see that in in a football game, is to see a team as you, as you stated, and you know, that, that was dominated for pretty much. Um, you know, 28 minutes of that first half, and then they end up having that lead at, at halftime. I mean, it's a testament to, uh, you know, uh, Katrina Wilson, who made huge, huge plays in the first half, and also, um, you know, coming right out in the second half and made that, that huge catch-and-run touchdown that she made, which was, which was huge. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask you about was about the defense. Now, to me, it seemed like D.C.'s defense, they were stopped. I mean, they were st- they, they made some big hits. They made some nice sound tackles, nice form tackles. Tia Watkins, she was a maniac out there making plays, but they just kept giving up, The you know, acquitted themselves in the second half because it looks like they kind of shored up most of that in the second half.
1: Yeah, I think the Divas com- defensively coming into that, their focus was on slowing down Dallas' big play because – Dallas has a lot of big play receivers. And for the most part, I feel like they did that. But the reality is is you can keep Dallas under wraps for so long, and, you know, and then they're going to explode on you. I mean, they, just have, they have so much talent and, and, and not only a lot of speed but also a lot, so much strength in the line that at some point it's, it's just hard to keep them from eventually getting that big play. And two in particular, uh, uh, their first touchdown as well as their last touchdown, both fifty uh fifty or fifty plus yard uh touchdown pass plays, so it's just you know with with Bobo and birdson and you know with with you know uh uh Gerhardt getting them the football um they're just they're a really tough uh team offensively to try to slow down uh, in terms of of exploding but tia watkins uh just a phenomenal phenomenal year really establishing herself as one of the top players defensively in women's football. I mean, for her this season, I'm pretty sure she had 89 and a half tackles, which wow for the D.C. Divas is, you know, the, the Divas, every team calculates their tackle stats differently. And some teams, they'll give... You know, some, some teams will give you a tackle, really, if you were kind of anywhere in the vicinity. They'll just sort of give you a tackle. And so, you know, everybody sort of calculates it different. But for the Divas, the Divas have calculated it the same way pretty consistently over, you know, a 16-year span. And when you look at the history of the D.C. Divas, you know, no player for the Divas, based on the way we've calculated tackles, has ever cracked 70 tackles in a season. And she finishes the season with a half-tackle shy of 90, which, you know, just compared to other players that the Divas have had, which I think is the most fair comparison, you know, that's a ridiculous number of tackles. And, you know, especially for, you know, for for a player, you know, who, you know, she's obviously going to have a couple of games where she plays briefly and then sits out for three quarters because, you know, it's just let's get her some rest or whatever else. But so I mean she's 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 had an amazing, amazing season. Trigger McNair played eighteen seasons at linebacker and was playing in her sixth national championship game, uh and eighteen seasons of play, and there she goes, she's forcing a fumble in the fourth quarter, uh, which was huge and helping to turn the tide uh in the game. Just you know, defensively, they did what they had to do because Dallas's offense is just absurdly explosive. So you're gonna give up a couple of plays, but You know, again, the key is if you give up the big touchdown, okay, then step up and stop them on the two-point conversion and get a little bit of momentum back. Hold them to six, don't give them eight. And for the most part, the defense did that too. So, you know, they did just enough, just what they had to do, and the same thing with the offense that generated just enough points to uh, to come out with a win against a really, really good team. I, I really believe, I can't say enough how good Dallas is. And I think there is the potential at some point that, people will look back on this historically on the Divas winning back-to-back championships and say they were kind of like the 90s Pistons to Dallas's 90s Bulls, where it's like Dallas just couldn't quite get – wasn't quite ready to get over the hump, but when they did, you know, look out kind of a situation. I mean, I I really, really believe that 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 Dallas elite organization is – has the potential to break out over the next five – eight years where we look back on that and say, you know, Dallas won X number of championships over X number of years, and they could have won two more if they hadn't lost at the last second in back-to-back years to the Divas. So, you know. You know what, Neal? So I really like that Dallas analogy. I like so that. I, you know what, Neil?
4: I like that analogy. I do. Mm-hmm. I, like, I really do. I, I like the analogy between the two teams. And that was one of the things we were saying earlier was, you know, who is this um, Dallas Elite team going to be? You know, are they going to become the Buffalo Bills of the 90s? But you have actually given us a better uh, point of reference, even though you went to a different sport where you are that team that is good enough to just get over the hump but not quite there. And if you wanted to even go back to maybe even a football analogy, maybe in some ways it's almost like the whole – Brady Manning bowls, you know, where you had two just really great quarterbacks battling it out and
1: going head-to-head. Yeah, absolutely. I I just I feel like, you know, rather than – I know Dallas has some players on their team who have probably played in three or four straight national title games and have lost three or four straight – uh, if they went from the Diamonds in, in 2013 to the Houston Energy in 2014, and then with the Dallas Elite the past couple of years, there are probably some players on that team who have who've been in four straight national title games and lost. But, you know, without making the comparison of the Buffalo Bills, I think you have to, you know, Dallas, the Dallas Elite are not going anywhere. <laughs> the Dallas Elite, I, you know, when I see that organization, I see a team that, man, if they keep that, core and what they have going and you know this is only their second year. I mean if they continue to do what they're doing and improve upon what they've done, I see, you know, not a championship, I see championships in that in that team's future potentially because, you know, that 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 kind of talent, that, you know, they're run that well and uh, you know, it's it's they're just such a tough team in the Western Conference for any team to deal with that I would, you know, I would not put Uh, you know, the San Diego Surge had that run uh, where they made, I think it was three championship games in four years. And, you know, Dallas has already made two in a row. And and I think, you know, uh, with, with the, with the young talent that they have on that team, uh, uh, the Dallas elite are not going anywhere. So before, you know, you sort of write the postscript on, uh, on the Dallas elite, you know, they're in the middle of something that I think uh, I just, I I cannot give enough respect to, uh, to that team and that organization. And, and, how, uh, what kind of future potential they have because they are they are the real deal. There's no question about that.
0: Now, the heartbreaking, Neil, heartbreaking stats, you know, we go by, you know, the forgotten losers, as they say, in the championships, but uh, to your point, uh, they have proven that they can come back and come back stronger. So, uh, it's to their credit, um, their drive. Uh, Odessa, you know, Odessa knows that you know, this is this is what it's got, it's going to take. It's going to be a, a battle of elite teams, and you're going to win some, you're going to you're going to lose some. And in the last two years, they know, uh, you know, like you said, you know, the stats don't lie. If you turn the ball over f- five times, uh, you know, the percentages are against you. So the chances the chances of you losing more often is is that. So uh, you know, there's a lot of things you have to look back on to on, on a game that you don't want to but at the same time you have to be realistic and say well if we would have done this differently maybe we would have had the crown and so that, i think that's what their mindset is right yeah. now they're,
2: they're I mean, in, their mindset is yeah. you know
0: where where are we going to you know where are they going to go from here and like you said they're they're obviously very focused on the fact that this is the season's over and now they got another opportunity yeah. next season for the crown again so they're focusing mean, on, if you on just, that. If, and I, if
1: you just think about it for a second, I mean, they lost the turnover battle by four turnovers. They lost the turnover battle five to one, and they lost by two points and had the ball with a minute to go in DC territory. I mean, uh, when right. when you look at it that way, this wasn't this was this wasn't upset in a lot of ways in the sense that you know uh, the DC Divas, you know, they I think what helped the Divas is the fact that they've been in so many close games. They had been in that situation before. They had had to. You know, they beat Boston in Boston early in the year by scoring a touchdown, the game-winning touchdown with 20 seconds left, or 17 seconds left, I think it was. Uh, they were able to beat Chicago by a touchdown because they intercepted the Chicago force on the goal line as time expired. I mean, those are the kinds of close wins that I think maybe helped the Divas down the stretch in that game. But I, I, I wrote this in the post-game recap, you know, Massey had as an as an upset, and there's no question in my mind this was – Absolutely, a game that could have gone either way, and but for you know the five turnovers for for Dallas, which give the Divas credit, they forced those turnovers. But you know it's 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 one of those things where it, it could have played out absolutely differently. But the Divas came out on top, and uh, and 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 back-to-back championships for the DC Divas.
0: Now, in historical sense, like you're saying, that that really goes into the the history books because you know this is a this is a quality squad. A lot of talent on this squad. Uh, we just talked to Utah prior to you know you coming on, and they're in the same boat. You know the 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 systems in place, the coaching's in place, the amount of talented players are in place. So um, as you as you pointed out just right now, uh, Dallas is going nowhere. They they'll be here again next year because they're that talented and their and their drive is that great. So um, yeah, we expect them obviously to own the West they would be the favorites again next year to own the West unless somebody else decides to step up and, you know, put, put something else up there, but I doubt that's going to happen. So they get an, they get an opportunity to be uh, very, uh, as their name would be very elite. Uh, unfortunately you get to a, a stage where, you know, you, you meet a team that has been battle tested uh, in, in more close games and, and that's an edge and the turnover ratio uh, like I said, that's a number that you cannot overcome. You start you you start turning the ball over, and if it doesn't convert to points, lucky for you. But even then, if it doesn't convert to points, you're still losing uh, field advantage in some instances, and you're still not going to score and put points up. So there's a disadvantage there too. So, um, you know, our our big guy here, um, Mr. Wilson, he predicted it. Um, I know he's got his crystal ball right next to him right now, and I don't know what 2017 is going to look like for Dallas, but um, but at this point for DC, um, everybody's very elated. First time in history, and I think you wrote it on your uh, on your on your post. Uh, this is, I think, what the third third championship. Second time they win it in Pittsburgh. I mean, the last time was in a different league, of course. Yeah,
1: yeah, the the Divas won in their first championship in 2006, interestingly enough, exactly 10 years ago in Pittsburgh in the uh what was then the NWFA uh National Title Game. Uh they won over the Oklahoma City Lightning, who were a great team that unfortunately is no longer with us, but uh uh it's interesting because you look back on that game and Franco Harris was the honorary captain and <laughs> doing the opening coin toss and there he was in Pittsburgh 10 years later, and and there was the Divas uh, winning this one. But the Divas are the first team to win back-to-back championships uh, in the WFA. Uh, They're the first team to win back-to-back championships in a major league in what is considered the top league in women's football since uh, uh, the Boston Militia, who actually, uh, the Militia won back-to-back championships in 2010 and 2011. Uh, Don't get quite as much credit for that uh, publicly because – 2010, they were in the IWFL when the IWFL was the top league in women's football. And then the following year, all the uh, most of the top teams left for the WFA. And uh, in 2011, the WFA was the top league in women's football, and the militia repeated and won it again. But unfortunately, their repeat, their back-to-back title, uh, came in a different league. So uh, um, the Divas are the first team to win back-to-back titles in the Women's Football Alliance. But uh, uh, they're the first team to win... What I, what I would consider major national championships uh, in back-to-back years uh, since the Boston Militia in 2010 and 2011. Um, and, of course, you know, there have been t- Pittsburgh obviously won back-to-back titles in the IWFL, uh, but, you know, they, they weren't playing the top competition in the IWFL at that time. Um, you know, so, and, and what's interesting to me is when you look at the Divas and you look at the Boston Militia in 2010, 2011, this is a comparison I always made was, The militia won the national title in 2010. They went undefeated. In 2011, as Defending Champs, they lost their first game to the D.C. Divas in D.C. Uh, That was their first game. They lost it. But the 2011 militia rebounded, went undefeated, knocked the Divas out of the playoffs, went undefeated from that point forward, and as a one-loss team, they won the the national title again. And the Divas kind of, you know, that was something that I certainly uh, reminded the team about at times was, the Divas kind of wound up following the same path where they went undefeated in 2016. 2016, as defending champs, lost their first game to Dallas, but bounced back from there, ran the table from that point forward, beat the elite in the playoffs, and, and, and won the championship. So they, they got redemption for their one loss, and, and they won. And so uh, I think there's a little bit of symmetry there to, uh, to those great uh, militia teams from half a decade ago.
4: I think – thank you, Neil, sure. for sharing that history because I think that that is so critical – to helping to understand, again, you know, I've been in this now two years, um, and for those of our fans who are listening who are still new to the um, board or just, you know, jumping on board, understanding that history in the background when we're talking about what this D.C. Divas team really means to the world of women's professional football. Because if you don't understand the history and the powerhouses and which teams were running as well as, the really needed explanation about the teams going back and forth between, you know, the two leagues. That it, it almost reminds me of the AFL and the NFL when the merger first happened and, you know, the fact that most people forget that the um Baltimore Colts were originally in the NFL and then when the merger hit then they were asked to move to the AFL. So, you know, and, and now we of course, you know, NFC, AFC, but that matters because we even talk about Cleveland, for example, uh, getting their first win in what fifty years for a major, you know, national title. But when they were winning, the structure was different. So how these two different leagues are structured, I think, impacts the quality of the game and, and people moving back and forth. It, it really does matter in terms of the product that we're able to put on the field.
1: Yeah, no, that's a terrific point. Uh, you know, I, I think the the history is important and that's one of the things that I will say is I've never I never used the term W bowl and I never advertised it as the W Bowl because I you know, I think that's I, I, I personally have always kind of felt that's kind of ridiculous, uh, the whole W Bowl one notion because I I have less of a problem with calling it the W Bowl and more of a problem with calling it W Bowl one. Because I can tell you from a DC Divas perspective, now the Divas have won uh the twenty sixteen national championship, which is what I call it, the WFA national title. Um, You know, there's not a single player in the DC Divas organization who considers this championship more special, more meaningful than last year's because this year's the W bowl and last year was oh, last year was just the national championship. But this year's W Bowl One. I mean, there there's some people uh, with the divas who might consider this to be a more meaningful title than last year just because how hard it is to repeat and it's a whole different season and all that kind of stuff. But no one is saying, Oh, this is better because this is W Bowl one I just think that's that's to me, calling it W Bowl one is so unbelievably insulting to the great championship games of the past where, you know, which were every bit as good. I don't understand why, what makes this title game, W Bowl one, as opposed to any previous year. I mean, yes, it's being held in Pittsburgh. Yes, it's, you know, on ESPN three. Yes. So, you know, well, 2012, the 2012 WFA championship was in Pittsburgh. It was on W uh, ESPN three. It was held at Heinz Field. I mean, why is this W Bowl one and, You know, 2012 wasn't. I think when you look at the history of women's football, so I have less of a problem with calling it the W Bowl and more of a problem with saying this is the first, because when I really look at the history of women's football, you know, when it first started out uh, in the early 2000s, there were multiple leagues of roughly equal strength. And so, okay, that was kind of, you know, there were multiple national champions at that point of roughly equal stature. But in, beginning in 2000, there was a consensus major national champion. There was one league that was stronger than all the rest. And from 20, 2008 to 2010, that was the IWFL, with that league. And then after the 2010 season, a bunch of teams left for the WFA. And since 2011, that league has been the WFA, has been the top league. So if you want to call this a W Bowl, to me, this isn't W Bowl one. it's W Bowl nine, in my view. Because 2008 was the first year that we had one league that was clearly better than the rest. That championship game was a phenomenal championship game between the Dallas Diamonds and the Chicago Force. Went to overtime, won by the Diamonds. That, to me, is your is your first true W Bowl, if you want to call it that. And then, uh, you know, going through the, the three from when the IWFL was running it, uh, and then beginning in W Bowl four with – you know, the WFA beginning to run that thing. So you'd have, WF, you'd have w bowl 3 and 4 won by the militia in 2010 and 2011. So they went back-to-back. Back. Uh, the fifth one would be the one in Pittsburgh at Heinz Field where the San Diego Surge came up and, and uh, won a, a late championship over the Chicago Force. Uh, the sixth one would be Chicago's victory, which is a rematch of the first one. Uh, The seventh one would be the Boston Militia's final game uh, as they won their third championship. And then uh, eight and nine were the past two years. So that would make next year really the 10th year that we've had a consensus national championship game of, you know, in the top league. And I I would understand if the WFA didn't want to acknowledge the first three because they were run by the IWFL. I would, because I think it's, you know, those were championship games. Even though the IWFL was running it, that was the top league then. And, you know, credit to the Dallas Diamonds, Kansas City Tribe, and Boston Militia for winning those championships. We shouldn't just discard those because, you know, Keezy Disney was running the show. So, you you know, to me, you have to acknowledge those as championships. But to me, you know, whether you call it W Bowl IX or W Bowl six to me, calling it W Bowl One is just—it's—it's it's absurd. I mean, you don't—you almost put the divas in a position where you were telling them, "Okay, you beat Dallas last year, but that game didn't count because that wasn't a W Bowl. This is the game that counts." And to me, that's just—that's—that's—that's that's, that's ridiculous. I—I I didn't see the need for that, and uh, uh, hopefully, that's something that we think. But you know, uh, again, we'll—we'll we'll just have to wait and see how the league uh, deals with that going forward. But um, um, it, it was a great championship game by by whatever name it is that you want to give.
4: Well, I just thought they so, Neil, make it all
1: consensus
4: because names matter, and, and, and names matter in terms of marketing. Like we always say the Super Bowl. Right. It is That's what I was say. Yeah, the name matters. Now, I agree with you in terms of the history because we don't want to discard the history, but by the same token,
1: it,
4: it, it is interesting, and I'll go back to my analogy or my comparison to the Cleveland Browns. And that you have a franchise that was historically kicking butt, and then all of a sudden, now you've got this new merger, and they can't do, to coin this beautiful phrase um, from the infamous uh, Coach Moore, diddly-poo, you know? And and, and they haven't been able to, I have been unable to replicate anything since. So I think the name matters in terms of marketing so that people know consistently every year, oh, it's going to be the W Bowl, and it's going to be held at, you know, whatever, whatever place, and that builds familiarity. But it should be done, to your point, without discrediting the teams that came before because we don't want to diminish the efforts of those ladies, who were pioneers and trailblazers.
1: Sure, and, and I understand the, the, the need for branding. I think that's a, a great idea. The one thing that I will say about that is when they decided to call it the Super Bowl, that actually did not happen until 1969. And they, they first started using that with Super Bowl three. The first two Super Bowls were not called Super Bowls at the time. They were actually the NFL-AFL World Championship games. But when they decided to call the branding Super Bowl III, they, they said, okay, we're gonna, now we're going to call it the Super Bowl. They acknowledged, okay, we're calling it the Super Bowl now, but this is the third Super Bowl. The first two, even though we didn't call it that, that's what they were. So basically when they started calling – when the NFL started using the term Super Bowl, they did that in 1969, and they said this is Super Bowl III. They didn't call Super Bowl one and two the Super Bowl when they were being played, but once they started using the term and using that branding, they started the numbering at three because they, they realized that the first two, the championship games in the two previous years, those were Super Bowls, whether you called them that at the time or not. And that's my point with the W Bowl. If you want to call it the W Bowl for the purposes of branding and whatever else, okay, I understand it, I get it. But don't, start it, don't just say because we're starting the branding now that we're going to start the numbering now. Because if you're going to start the branding now, fine, but then start the numbering at the appropriate place. Call this W Bowl 9 because that's really what this was. And then you're acknowledging that the first eight championship games that came before it were W Bowls, even though maybe you weren't calling it that at the time. That would be my, that would be my, my argument in terms of preserving the history while still taking advantage of the branding
0: a good argument i mean you you think about it it's a good argument i think the branding factor was more enticing for the marketing end of the television brand you know because if you have a if you say this is the wfa championship okay all right but then we say this is w bowl one oh i'm, I'm interested and that's really what they went for the the interesting right. aspect and
1: again the point too is that the previous games were actually on ESPN three, like the twenty twelve and twenty thirteen right. WFA championships games. Those were on; those were broadcast by WFA uh, by ESPN three too. So you know, you do already have that tie in with them. You can say, "Hey, those were right. W bowls. We weren't calling it then that then." But yeah, I mean, uh, so I get the whole W bowl branding part of it, but for me, it was more the numbering of this is the first one because to me, it, it, it kind of suggested that you know, the the championships the militia won and the Chicago Force one and the San Diego Surge one. Oh well those weren't W bulls. But they really were. I mean they were every bit as much a, a national championship game as 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 this game was. And so, you know, I, so, I felt like it kinda of shorted them in, in a way which 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 I'm didn't this that. is
0: I'm thinking this is was this was thought uh as a reset and it's really what it is mm-hmm. it's a reset for, mm-hmm. for for just the marketing television aspect of it but I, I i mean i do agree with your uh with your you know criticism of it because yeah it should be it should be the Bowl 9 it should go back to the history when it started which is the beginning and it should be rebranded so maybe they'll rethink it um and they're listening now, to, well, to us
4: yeah but the problem is the fact that like to neil's point the super bowl at least started at 3 where you didn't. It was such a low number, and there wasn't quite the national affiliation attention. Because
0: truthfully, attention. Yes. Yeah,
4: well, and, and attention. Because truthfully, Super Bowl three is actually, in my opinion, what I think really turned the course of the tide. Because America was still a baseball uh, country at that time. But I think Super Bowl three and Joe Namath and the famous, you know, I predict we're going to win and the finger in the air, that whole thing, it was caught on TV. You had NFL films really coming into play. I think it was the perfect storm. But when you're saying, oh, this is W Bowl 9 you're like, well, what happened to the other games and well, where are they been? Why aren't we promoting them? Then it looks bad because they're like, how are you, this is your ninth one and nobody knew anything about it, especially because they've done a better job now with marketing. So to a small degree, now this is just me coming from a PR background, Oscar's right, it, they almost have to do a reset. You know, and it, and I get what you're saying. You don't want to discredit the work that was done in the past. However, it it's a, if it's done correctly, you can say this is the W Bowl one and thank you to all the other ladies for the previous and give it a name to you know, the national championship. Just let it be done and let it go at national championships. Which still
0: I will say the
4: work that I was done. I will say, um
0: if you do it right you would have to do it on a Blu-ray DVD and then you would have to just go back and this is WBO one in 2016, you know, 16, but then you would have to rebrand every, every championship before that. So there's opportunity for maybe on a DVD or Blu-ray mentality to go back and say, this is, this is, this is officially the WBO one back in 2009 or whatever. And this is officially, you know, the 10th. But I think the, the aspect that we're going for here, is to try to get more attention to it, and it flows better because when you say, "Oh, by the way, are you watching W bowl uh, W bowl this weekend?" it just it's just more of an intrigued conversation. What is W bowl? When you say WFA National Championship, it just doesn't feel the same. So I think uh, you got to give them credit for trying to at least get somebody to just say, "What is that?" Um, and I think it, it's it, it'll it'll be well it'll be well done. If they do the, if they stick with it, it's not going to be good. If they just do this one and they sway from it to Neil's point, which they've never done in the past with it, so they got to rethink this really, really good if going forward, whether they reclassify everything else, uh, going back to the uh, inaugural season, uh, we'll see that. Um, Neil, uh, the other tier we need to talk about is the Slam, taking on the Inferno. We all thought. Uh, this was, you know, the Inferno's year because of the fact that they, um, you know, they were steamrolling everybody. But the, I, I want to say, this is the same kind of feeling that we get with East versus West. The only difference here is uh, St. Louis was more battle-tested with Tier One squads during the season than in, that that the Inferno was. So I think that's the reason for the Slam doing so well. Uh, I, I mean, I, I think that's what it boiled down to, because they really won 38-7. to seven. I mean, that right there was just a shocking. When I, when I saw the score, when I was watching the game, I was like, this is not the inferno that we've seen on, on a stat sheet. But you saw the slam, Taylor Hay and everybody in the slam just sort of just took control of this game. And so we got to give – credit to them I think we took uh who did you take Tori I think we both took Tampa Bay right and I think in case she took St. Louis
4: yes I did it was one of the few games I got right this past weekend because you guys called it on Utah um Falcons and the Vixens and I really went and I went with the Vixens I thought they were going to have pull it out and when I saw that score I just my mouth just dropped. I just said, oh, my God, what happened to that team? Did they show up? But, yeah, I definitely called this one. And that was hard because Tampa has just been playing white out football and just the energy and everything that they've been putting on the field. But just something told me not this game.
0: I know. That's why I'm saying it's shocking because they they basically they lost two of their first three games in the season. And then they came on strong in the second half of the season. And then they played, like I said, tier one teams. And then towards the end there, they ripped off three consecutive blowout wins, uh, one of them against Kansas City that everybody was shocked about. And then they handled their two postseason games, which really was no contest for those two games. And coming into this game, because of the Inferno being undefeated, uh, Neil, everybody just assumed Tampa Bay was going to be more of a
2: challenge.
1: Yeah, and I think again, I think you're right that uh, St. Louis, the main reason they weren't undefeated is because they played uh, really, really good competition. And I don't, um, I'm not sure if it prepared them better for that game or, or what the situation was. But I do know that it's a, it's a perfect example of why, in this particular uh, situation, uh, the straight record doesn't necessarily always tell the tale with with teams at, at that division because, you know, when you look at a team like Tampa. They played. Uh, I think uh, Atlanta uh, was the was the tier one team that they played, and 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 they won. And, and Tampa had a had a great year and very quietly uh, undefeated all the way to the championship game. But you know, for St. Louis, you, you certainly can't fault them for for the losses they had, which were against tier one teams and and excellent ones. And then, uh, I, I as you mentioned, to me, beating Kansas City in the regular season finale and beating them as convincingly as they did. I think you stopped and said, wait a second, what the, wait, what? <laughs> what happened there? And at, from that point on, that was sort of the statement that, listen, we're, we're you know, we're going to be for real. And, uh, uh, I mean, just give a, a ton of credit to St. Louis. When you look at that organization, They, that, that's, a, that's a team that actually had to take a year off uh, not that long ago to sort of retool and, and, and recalibrate what the San Diego Surge are going through, what the Miami Fury are going through right now, you know. It's proof that, particularly with this with this tier system, which I think is, 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 has really been successful for the WFA, that, you know, you can retool, recalibrate, jump back into the mix, and after a couple of years, you can get right back into contention, and to see them win the championship after, you know, they've had to come back from, from, from taking that year off uh, was really great to see, because again, the St. Louis Slam, a long, long time organization, one of the uh, uh the real uh, uh great stories in women's football one of one of uh, these teams that has has a heck of a lot of history and tradition to it so to see them go on and, and win the championship was uh was a great thing but again Tampa Bay Inferno uh a f- terrific season as well i know the people running uh that team down there uh, a couple of ex uh, Pittsburgh Passion folks uh they're really doing a, a phenomenal job with that team, but uh, just ran out of steam at the end uh, in the final game. And uh, again, a uh, ton of credit to, to both teams for capping off uh, the first uh, WFA two championship game in in, in 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 fine fashion with with two excellent organizations there.
0: I want to make a note here that it's very significant. The Slam won the original WFA national championship back in 2009. So they go back mm-hmm. and they win the Tier the, the the very first Tier 2 championship. So they got to give a credit there and I got to give the defense their props. This defense did not allow a single touchdown. The Infernal's only scored on a late game fumble recovery. So they didn't even allow Tampa to score. So, you know, what that that says way more than anything. Team is just you know the the score that the, the Inferno scored on was actually a late a late game fumble recovery that they scored on so the defense did not allow an offensive score in this championship game so wow that right there to me I mean uh, Troy I mean right there volumes right that's like <laughs> that's like a wall that you you can't even penetrate that's like a wall and they they did it consistently for three weeks against Houston they did it consistently against. Um, uh, the Sin City Trojans, um, so we got we got to give them credit. What do you think, Troy?
3: Yeah, man. At that point, I mean, if you're shutting teams out, and, and especially at this point, at that point of the season, it's it's not by accident. I mean, that's by design. I mean, you're, you know, you're running on all cylinders on, on your defensive side. So anytime you see something like that, you, you know they're for real. You know, and, and they stepped up and they proved it.
0: I think that's a great story. Um I personally this afternoon uh contacted the Rams uh, the NFL Rams and uh the community the community person that I know at the Rams and and I was telling them about the slams. So we'll see if the Rams do something special for them since they left Saint Louis. But this is this is Saint Louis' team now. This is the only professional football team in Saint Louis left when the Rams left. So we'll see if the Rams can put out some sort of media uh you know, good thing for them at this point. Uh, Neil, um, the the tier three was a Cydeo. We didn't anticipate that happening because the Black Widows had such a great season. But uh, we got to give them hats off. I mean, they they went to Pittsburgh. They took care of the Black Widows, and uh, they are the they're tier three national champions.
1: Yeah, and a really outstanding football game. Uh, I think the people who who watched it were 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 awfully entertained it was it was you know I had seen Richmond firsthand so I knew uh an excellent excellent first year organization in Richmond and and they really got things cooking I think as they continue to grow and continue to you know get their name out there in the Richmond community I, I just think they've they've got uh, really terrific potential down there with the coaches they've got and the, and the players they have but um you know, the Zydeco, uh, uh, a little bit more experience uh, in terms of having been around for a little bit longer as an organization. And uh, uh, it was one of those games where Richmond actually came out, took an early lead. Um, they were leading at halftime, and, and, and I'm pretty sure they were leading uh, for a good portion into the, uh, uh, into the fourth quarter. But the Zydeco uh, wound up taking a uh, uh, control of the game um, I think the Zydeco were up 20 to 12 very late in the game. Uh, Richmond had the ball, drove down the field, scored to pull within two with, I, I want to say, under 15 seconds remaining in the game, uh, and obviously had to go for the two point conversion to try to tie the game, but the, the conversion was no good, and the Zydeco had themselves a. Uh, uh, of the WFA three championship. So uh, even at, at, you know, at tier three level, when you put those, you know, the, the top two teams in that division together, uh, they can, uh, particularly when they're evenly matched. And I think that was, that was really the thing that, that was exciting about the WFA uh, championship uh, weekend is that, you know, uh, St. Louis, uh, uh, St. Louis Tampa wound up being a pretty lopsided game. The other two games were were very close, very exciting, very compelling games, and I think that's really one of the things that made uh, the WFA uh, championship weekend uh, uh, so much fun for the fans.
0: Yeah, it was a great weekend uh, all the way around. Um, So we'll see if we can get um, Congena on this coming week. Uh, I'll I'll touch base with you guys and see if we can get her on next Tuesday. We really want to get her on just to – give her the uh, props for her MVP honors uh, in the, in the Weibel championship. So uh, Neil, thanks again for making the time. I really appreciate it. Uh great championship weekend on both sides, the IWFL and the um, WFA. So it was an awesome weekend and we appreciate you, uh, all your insights as always.
1: You bet. Thanks for having me on this year, Oscar. Thanks guys. I appreciate it.
3: Thanks, Neil.
0: Have a great day and uh, evening. Safe travels out there.
2: Take care. Right, Take care. Take care. You too. All right, guys.
0: Um, always informative. Neil uh, Rosenthal, and then breaking it down, both championships. What an amazing weekend. Uh, you can do the replay on YouTube for the IWFL. It's in our timeline on Twitter and on Facebook. The ESPN3 rebroadcast of the Bowl 1, uh, I was told, should be up now, but uh, it
3: wasn't up uh,
0: a, a two days ago. So if you go onto the ESPN3 schedule, you should be able to see if you do a replay if you haven't seen it. So uh, congratulations to the DC Divas and the Utah Falcons. Um, so, Troy, let's go into Legends before we get out of here. We've got a couple minutes here. Ankeisha, you, you hanging out with us for Legends? or?
4: I wish I was, but I am getting ready to go out of town for the weekend for a family reunion.
0: Awesome. So, All right, no, no worries. You very, very um, so, we'll, so you guys,
4: So we'll be catch good you what, next catch Tuesday, you the, right? Next week, Tuesday.
0: Awesome. So safe travels to you, too. I hope you have a good thank weekend you. there. Thank
4: you. Thanks, guys. Take care.
0: We'll see you next week. All right, Troy, um, We you predicted uh, that uh, lib- the Liberty would um, not show up, and well, that was the case last week, and we had nothing to talk about. Um, but the big story this week is the Liberty quarterback uh, was assigned by the league to help out the Omaha heart. Um, so I guess uh, maybe Coach Tui made a couple of phone calls and put a better quarterback in, in Rolston to see if they can compete against Dallas this week.
3: Oh man. That's, I mean, that, that's interesting, but um, you know, um, I'm pretty sure that's a little bit too little, too late. Looking at how Omaha still executes, and uh, Alex Drake isn't familiar with you know how Omaha does things and their playbook. And but then again, Omaha doesn't have a coaching staff anymore. So I mean, <laughs> who knows what could happen? I mean, I, I'll too to, man. You know what? You know Check it out, but jeez. You know what's more interesting?
0: The fact that they couldn't get a coach from another team to just come out and coach the Omaha heart for the, for this one week before the game, I, I was like, sorry, yeah. you, you're going to get a quarterback from a losing team. <laughs> and then you're going to uh, put her in a system. with has no coaching. I mean, where, where uh, is everybody's analogy here? You know what I mean? <laughs> How do you make uh, the uh, thing better? That, that was my question. Uh, How do you make this better?
3: I, I've never oh, seen anything yeah. like that my life. I, I, I mean, I was, I, drinking, I I was it, drinking.
0: I was drinking Kool-Aid. I was drinking Kool-Aid when I heard the news, and somebody beeped it on me on my phone, and I was like thinking <laughs> to myself, maybe, maybe they're bringing the New England coach who had no roster. Maybe they're flying him to a, to H- uh, Omaha for the week, and then they bring their quarterback with him, just so he can be familiar with some of the play calling. And then all of a sudden I turn around and uh, I asked uh, one of the people that I work with, and I said, and what about the coaching staff in Omaha? Oh, they're still going with the same plan. I'm like, what? You're going against Dallas. Wow! (laughs) Wow. This is a toddler in a big schoolyard that has no chance in the play yard.
3: (laughs)
2: Yeah.
3: It's 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 embarrassing. It's embarrassing. I I, I mean, I saw that and I just – all I could do was shake my head. I've just i mean, I've never seen anything like that in my life.
2: So
0: How I mean, do you, you do know. that, Troy? I mean, you don't do that in high school. Yeah. You definitely don't do that in Pop Warner,
3: but you're going to you do, do it in professional. <laughs> oh, I my mean, God. Yeah, I mean, you do that, you know, playing pickup football at the playground. Oh, look, man, you know, our guy had to go home because his mom said he had to be on by a certain time, so you got to come over there and play for us. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's what it is. I don't know, man. Uh,
0: all right, I'm gonna, uh, go my, uh, uh, I'm gonna go on my I'm gonna go on my Erica Lynn rant here, uh, Mitchell Mortaza. I know you're listening to me, and if you're not, okay, well, I have 16 listeners that are listening to me, so that makes it valid, I guess. Anyways, let's go on the rant here. How in the world do you not bring another coach from a West Coast team to kind of guide this Omaha team? I mean, so uh, if I'm in Los Angeles right now, Troy, and I'm Coach Stewie. And I just heard that they're getting, they're taking a quarterback from a lousy team to help Omaha, and then you turn around and go, they're not making any coaching, they're not adding any coaching. How does that help me? How does that help me? It doesn't help me an inch at all. This is ridiculous. No. At least if you put a coach in there, you could say maybe these girls are coachable for one game, and I have, we have a chance to make the playoffs. Right now, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't want to use the word at all, but I, I the, You know, the, the Omaha team is just doing a disservice to them. A disservice is the word. I mean, you're telling me you could not find a coach from another team to go in there and help out? Come on. I mean, you got to find a coach yeah. somehow, somewhere. You know, even if it's a high school coach that says, hey, you want, you want to coach a team for one week? <laughs> Come in here and see what you can do. Um, yeah, I mean, you know. Anyway. Uh,
3: uh, get Mike uh, Gundy over there. He can help him out. Mike Gundy at, uh, at Oklahoma State.
0: Yeah, he can help. I I was about to I, I was about to text your phone number. I was thinking maybe Mortaza could fly you to Omaha just for the one week and see if we he hey, could have the strategy there. in place. Oh I was
3: I know you would do it. I know that's <laughs> what I'm saying.
0: That's more valid oh, than Okay, we're gonna bring a we're gonna bring a quarterback <laughs> from an 0 4 squad that was a mass unit and we're gonna lead another unit that was completely obliterated by Atlanta and Chicago. We're hoping that they'll compete against Dallas. That doesn't even go right. Nah, <laughs> Who is writing this script? It
3: doesn't script? at all. It, it doesn't oh, at all. Hey, hey, Morty. Hey, Morty. Hey, you, I, you can get my you can get my information. Just hit me on Twitter, man. At Troy I, I'm Wilson, you, I,
0: I was gonna send it to Mitchell and say uh, <laughs> Troy is ready to lead the heart. <laughs> uh, let's let's move on from this idiotic move. And let's move on to the actual game that we probably won't be covering in detail, but we probably will. I mean, we have to. We're professionals, so we'll overdo it. Um, it's Michelle Angel <laughs> and company. I'll just leave it at that. Taking on uh, the newly acquired Alex Drake and the Omaha, the Koto's Omaha Heart this weekend at Ralston with the temptation hopes of playoffs on the line. Does that sound more professional, Troy? Sounds very bit,
3: yeah. interesting. Yeah,
0: to watch. yeah. Sounds like you, you're kind of toeing the line at this point. Yeah. Uh it's it's a, God. It's, it, they, they, these people. This Omaha team is is uh is in a water with sharks, and nobody's throwing a life jacket out. Them. Nobody. No, <laughs> bad no they actually organization. They,
3: they've no. actually thrown bloody they've actually thrown bloody tuna heads in there. That's what they've done. That, that's a, a, oh yeah. That's a perfect, analogy. Yeah. perfect analogy. Perfect <laughs> analogy. Anyway.
0: Uh, I will say it is the game of the week for the uh, Legends Football League, and we'll leave it at that. So we'll recap that game because we could not see Atlanta versus New England Liberty because apparently it wasn't broadcast and it wasn't played. So there you go. July 30th, Saturday at Ralston. Get your tickets to see the Dallas Desire Massacre versus the Omaha (laughs) Heart. I mean, I can't put it any nicer than that. So we're we're moving on. We're going to the women's recap to finish up the show here. So let's head on to the women's gridiron recap. Um, Let's go to Australia. (laughs) Let's start there. Okay.
3: In Australia, the tryouts are now on for for all the governing bodies, including Queensland, Victoria, and New South Wales. Uh, You can follow on Facebook, Women's Gridiron League of Australia, for the latest updates and news and get ready for the Ladies Gridiron League season 2 we will keep you all posted any kind of for all the developments in the Ladies Gridiron League season 2 in Europe when to start here in Finland um the SAJL Maple Series finished week 7 this year um the Northern Lights won 40 to 12 and finished the season 2 and 5 versus the now 1 and 6 uh Hamilina Huskies and the GS Demons they're they were now 4 and 3 they won a blowout 52 to 8 versus the Eskela uh, Jaguars who are now 0 and 7 they haven't won any games this year at all uh, the Helsinki Roosters finished undefeated and they won tw- uh, 26 to 0 against the Senyoki uh, Crocodiles and the Turku Trojans they defeated the Saint Petersburg Valkyries 34 to 14 Now, the final four playoffs begin on July 30th. It's the Roosters and the Valkyries and the Trojans versus the GS Demons. You can follow at SAJL Football on Twitter and the official website, www.sajl.fi, for the playoff news and updates. In Canada, this week starting Thursday, July 28th through July 31st, the football Canadian excuse me, the Football Canada Women's Senior National Tournament. That will take place in Saskatoon. Four teams divided into regions in one goal to win the trophy. The best athletes from the WWCFL and the MWFL will be there to compete, and you can follow them on Twitter, at NatChampFootball uh, Nat via Twitter for the updates, and also from our network partner, at Random Riot Fans. Oscar?
0: In Mexico, this uh, the seasons are over, but the off season is in place, just like in Australia. It's the off season in FX Mexico. So visit their page on Facebook for the trial dates and training camp information for the 2017 spring season. Follow them at facebook.com forward slash Liga FXF Liga FXF, or you can just type in FXX Mexico. Also in Lexfa, the same thing. Off season, you can follow Lexfa at on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Lexfa Mexico, or you can search Lexfa Arena Mexico and uh, on Twitter at Lexfa. Um, In the U.S., as we were just uh, joking about, uh, the LFL canceled the New England Liberty versus the Atlanta Steam July 23rd game due to lack of healthy roster by the Liberty. Uh, So the Steam and Liberty get a tie mark for the season. And the news was, as we alluded earlier, Alex Drake will be starting for the Omaha Heart. Um, so we look forward to the Dallas-Desire versus Omaha Heart matchup, which I, don't, I can't say that with a straight face. So if it was on TV, it would be different. But anyways, we are looking forward to Dallas versus Omaha. Uh, the Heart must win for the temptation to get a playoff berth. Otherwise, Dallas will face Seattle on August 13th uh, and in Seattle. Uh, The Sugar and Spice Football League action, July 23rd, the Week 13. McAllen Mystics win 39-18. They improved to 4-2 versus the Corpus Christi Mermaids in Week 14. July 30th, this coming weekend, the champion Texas Lady Jaguars at 5-0 will be taking on the Corpus Christi Mermaids at 2-2. And and the Battle of Winless Squads. One team will win this weekend in the Sugar and Spice Football League. El Paso Envy 0-4 taking on the... San Antonio Cowgirls, 0-5. The top four playoff teams as currently as we stand, number one, Lady Jags, number two, the Har- Harlingen Honeys, number three, McAllen Mystics, and number four, the Corpus Christi Mermaids. In the 2016 w- IWFA Championship in Texas, the San Antonio Texas Legacy, and Alicia Taylor and Michelle Marshall, who plays on that team also, they win their third consecutive championship in three different leagues uh, since 2014. So the Legacy win 88-33. The Valley Vixens. Um, any of the uh, things that we just talked about, you can find them on our timeline at Gridiron Beauty on Twitter, and you can go to facebook.com forward slash Gridiron Beauty. All right, Troy. Hey.
3: Just a reminder to give you guys to, to let you guys know to visit our shop at Zazzle to help us raise money for the Aussie Outback team. So far this year, we've raised $100 toward the goal to help the Outback squad through May 2017. So just go to the shop and order your chalk line gear and help us spread the world that girls play American football. The website, zazzle.com slash beauties.
0: So big games uh, this weekend, S.A.J.L. Finland Maple Series Final Four weekend. Uh, the Sugar and Spice Football League doubleheader that's going on this July 30th, and the Legends Football League Dallas versus Omaha. So stay tuned all weekend via our Twitter uh, at Gridiron Beauty. We will tweet out the live feeds as they become available and any updates as provided by our network. Thanks again for making us the number one Twitter sports site covering all things women's American football. We appreciate the love. So uh, Troy and Kishi, all of us, uh, the fans have voted us in, number one on Twitter, the number one Twitter sports site covering American uh, football for women's great iron. So I'm so proud uh, to be a part of this with you guys and everybody before that, Eric and Erica. So it's a great honor to have. And we continue to be that, and we will continue to do our best to cover all things women's American football. Uh, visit our Zazzle shop weekly, help our awareness project, uh, No Joke Football, and use the Zazzle code to save big. Um, so uh, let's get
3: out hey, of here, Troy. Hey, I wanted to give a shout-out before we leave to Neil Rosendahl for coming through, as always, with the, all his infinite wisdom. As far as the game of football, the guys in encyclopedia itself, including writing an encyclopedia, that makes him an encyclopedia two times over. So appreciate you, Neil. Uh, I want to give a shout-out to Utah Falcons quarterback, Louise Dean and also the MVP, Keisha Scott, for coming by. And yet a Grisby from the D.C. Divas. We want to catch you next week. Hopefully, we'll get a chance to talk to you because we are dying to get your take on what happened in the game and how it feels to be a two-time champion. Go like us on Facebook at Gridiron Beauties. Google or Bing us, uh, No Joke Football. Don't forget to use that. And do not forget to subscribe and follow us here at Blog Talk Radio. Click the follow button and don't miss the show. Also, check out our social media platforms on Instagram and Twitter for the latest news of Women's Gridiron. Shout out to all of our network partners that help us bring you the news. We really appreciate your efforts. Thank you so much. Until next week, my name is Troy Wilson. I'm speaking for Oscar and Nkishi. Thank you, guys. See you next week. All right. Have a great one, Troy. We'll see you next week.
0: See you, sir